0: After these decades of pondering and reading about how believers have struggled to define God in the Bible, I'm left wondering, was this really meant to be such a torturously difficult, brain-breaking subject? The history of this subject is littered with contentious church councils and often a cruel dogmatism, which banished or even killed those who did not submit to ecclesiastical authority. Have theology and Christology, who is God and who is Jesus, really warranted anathemas, excommunications, and even murders in the name of right doctrine? Yes, I know that conventional systems of belief warn you never on pain of the loss of salvation to veer from so-called orthodoxy. The fear factor is very great, but the fact remains that the average churchgoer cannot defend the doctrine of the Trinity. Here is what I propose as an easy way to approach the subject of defining God biblically. When Jews and Jesus and Paul made definitive and decisive statements about their creed, which is nothing less than a declaration of the constitution of the universe, They model a refreshing simplicity. When asked by a fellow Jew about the greatest of all the commandments, Jesus replied by citing what was really Judaism's only creed. Listen, Israel, the Lord our God is one Lord. From Deuteronomy 6 verse 4 and cited by Jesus in Mark 12 verse 29. That God and no other was to be understood and loved; all else meant an inevitable lapse into idolatry, the most awful sin, the sin to be avoided at all costs. When Jesus replied to the inquiring scribe or professional scholar that the Lord our God is one Lord, in Mark twelve twenty nine, the scribe responded warmly. enthusiastically you have spoken well rabbi that God is one and that there is no other than he will you reader now face this question is this creed of Jesus and the Jewish scholar your Creed or have you been taught a creed of a different sort are the words of Jesus the Savior your prime concern What about the Jewish Christian Paul, minister in Christ to the Gentiles? What was his creed? Was it complex, requiring pages of technical language for its expression? Definitely not. In 1 Corinthians 8, verses 4 to 6, Paul tackles our issue by discussing the many gods and lords of the pagan world. Then by contrast, he states... The Christian Creed. To us Christians, there is one God, the Father, and no other God but He. There are 1,300 similar verses in the New Testament in which the Greek word theos, meaning God, means the Father. Each of these is a Unitarian proof text. Not once when the Bible says God, In either Testament, does it mean a triune Trinitarian God? How can we conclude otherwise than that the God of the Bible and of Jesus is not a Trinity? Does this require the help of an army of learned theologians to grasp that to us there is one God, the Father? Did not Paul obviously declare the same creed as uttered by Jesus and the Jewish scribe? God is one, and there is no other. That one God is the Father, and there's no other God but He. This is the essence of simplicity and clarity. Now think about this. What does a Trinitarian creed sound like? proposition is there is one god the father son and holy spirit such a creed is never stated in scripture could that be because the bible writers had never heard of such a creed do we realize that jesus is not once called the lord god he is called the lord messiah in luke 211 and this title for the messiah ought to be trumpeted everywhere. Luke recorded a splendid fact of human history when he announced the birth not of God, God cannot be born, but of the Lord Messiah, Luke 2, verse 11. The blind men seeking to regain sight hailed Jesus and appealed to him as Lord, Son of David, Lord, here, obviously, and plainly, did not mean Lord God. Add now to this the simplicity of Malachi 2, verse 10. Do we not all have one Father? Has not one God created us? You probably know that one of the basic features of the Hebrew Bible, the Old Testament, is that two statements like this, reinforce each other. Two propositions repeat the same idea for clarity and emphasis. Malachi summarized the whole Old Testament, indeed the whole Bible, in one beautifully simple, non-complex idea. There is one God who is the creator and father of the nation of Israel and of the whole universe. Why not let your mind rest in that glorious, health-giving truth? This same God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob was, of course, the God of Israel and of the prophets, and the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Is this difficult? That one God, the Father, had revealed himself as a single divine person by means of thousands of singular personal pronouns you know i'm sure that a singular personal pronoun defines a single person god is called one person too when the bible speaks 21 times of god's soul his self he is a single individual divine self how complicated was paul's later and final declaration about God, not so hard. There is one God, and one mediator between God and man, the man, Messiah, Jesus. 1 Timothy 2, verse five. Paul could have so easily written, there is one God, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, but he did not. How frequently the Bible says that he who believes that Jesus is the Christ or the Son of God is pleasing to God. Never once does it say that he who believes that Jesus is God is doing well. It is amazingly significant that John wrote his whole gospel with the express intention of conveying to us all that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God. John 20, verse 31. It was in that great truth and nothing else that we're to find rest, peace, and spiritual security. But you may find a considerable hostility to that easy creed in many church circles. If we turn to Trinitarian attempts to describe and define belief in one God, We have moved from biblical simplicity to frightening complexity. Dr. James White's Forgotten Trinity contains a chapter entitled, What is the Trinity? Dr. White rightly complains that many a discussion of the Godhead becomes mired in confusion because terms are not defined. He then leads with this heading, Can you define the undefinable? He asks us to consider that in trying to define God, we have real difficulty right at the start, language itself. Christians, he says, have struggled for centuries to express within the limitations of human language the unique revelation that God makes his mode of existence We struggle because language is a finite means of communication. Finite minds are trying to express in finite language infinite truths. That's Dr. James White on page 24 of his Forgotten Trinity. Has it not occurred to Dr. White that God's revelation in scripture about how many he is, is given us in normal grammatical language? Otherwise, it would not be a revelation at all. I note right away that Dr. White cites some 250 Bible verses, but he has not mentioned Malachi 2, verse 10, nor the creed of Jesus in Mark twelve twenty nine, nor Paul's summary description of God in 1 Timothy 2, 5, when he gets to 1 Corinthians 8, 4 to 6, he cites Paul's reference to one God, the Father. This is a typical Jewish-Christian Unitarian assertion echoed by Jesus in Mark 12:29, that God is a single person, the Father. Yes, indeed, the Lord Jesus Christ is immediately associated with the Father. But Dr. White assumes that one Lord, for Jesus, is equivalent to one God. Some, he recognizes, say that because Paul restricts the Father to the category one God, this means that Jesus is not also the one God. After all, Jesus is called one Lord, Jesus Christ. If, so the argument goes, Jesus is the one Lord, then the Father must be excluded from Lordship. But the whole argument is fallacious. Dr. White's assumption is that Lord, when used of Jesus and God, has the same meaning. That is not so. As early as Luke 2.11, Jesus is defined as the Lord Messiah, and in 2.26, he is the Lord's, that's to say, God's Messiah. Both Jesus and God are Lord, but in quite different senses. Elizabeth knew this when she recognized Mary as the mother of my Lord, not the mother of Yahweh. All this goes back to the centrally and decisively important Psalm 110, verse 1, where there are two lords. The one Lord God is Yahweh, and he utters a solemn oracle in favor of David's Lord my lord, with lowercase l. The word for the Hebrew, for the second lord, is Adonai, which in all of its 195 occurrences never means God or deity. Adonai, my lord, with lowercase l, is the supremely important royal title for the king of Israel and other leading personalities. But Adonai, my Lord, never means God. The word for God is Adonai, the Supreme Lord God. The distinction in the Hebrew and the Greek is fundamental, lest we fall into the trap of believing in two lords who are both the Lord God. The distinction between Lord God, Adonai, and a human superior, Adonai, or my Lord, lowercase l, is essential to good understanding. The famous International Bible Encyclopedia states the truth. It says, it is essential to distinguish carefully between the divine and non-divine title Adonai and Adoni. The whole of the New Testament is built on the scheme proposed by the oracle in Psalm 110, verse 1. Jesus knew this well when he stumped his antagonistic audience by citing Psalm 110, verse 1. He told us that it was the Son of Man, the human being, at the right hand of God, Mark 14, 62, and Stephen at his death, Saw Psalm one hundred and ten one in action, and defined the second Lord as the Son of Man, Acts seven, verse fifty six. That demonstrates that Adoni, my Lord, with lowercase l, is a human being. Psalm eighty verse seventeen had also defined the Messiah as the man. Of your right hand, no one ought to imagine that the Second Lord was God. The whole picture of God and man was distorted when Jesus was defined as a second God in a triune Godhead. This unfortunate theological development from the second century removed the creed of Jesus, found in Mark 1229, from the foundation of the faith. It led to endless squabbles and centuries of unnecessary argument, dividing and confusing. The end product was an imperial ecclesiastical decision to anathematize anyone who dared to say the Son of God began to exist in history. Matthew's and Luke's accounts of the coming into existence of the Son of God were ruled out of bounds. They are, in fact, simple statements about the origin of the Son in Mary by miracle. Luke 1, verse 35, Matthew 1, verses 18 and 20. Equally confusing was the loss of the Hebrew Bible's long preparation and for announcing of the messiah christ to come david had already referred to the israelite king saul as the lord's anointed the hebrew reads the lord's messiah first samuel 24 verse 6. the people were looking forward to the ultimate righteous human king not a visitor From a complex triune godhead. Israel knew nothing of such a god and still does not. It is really amazing to imagine Jesus believing in a trinitarian god. If he did, how could he possibly have kept a straight face while agreeing with a learned Jew about the hero Israel about the one true God. Christians should be encouraged to engage a gentle conversation with all comers on this point. Is Christianity the only world religion which begins by discarding its own founder's creed? I ask this seriously. It's a really interesting question. Jesus in multiple passages makes obedience to his teaching the absolute key john twelve verses forty four and following john three thirty six hebrews five verse nine and so on and also the criterion for a successful relationship with him and his father is anyone going to argue that jesus in mark twelve twenty nine was proposing a triune God. Luke knew well that the promised Savior was to be born, and he brilliantly introduces us to the ultimate Christ, the Messiah, the Anointed One. Using the same language as the 16 references to the Old Testament Anointed One, Luke presents Jesus to us as the Lord's Anointed, that's to say, Christ, the Lord's Christ, Luke 2, verse 26. Here then is the final David, the final perfect king in the line of earlier flawed kings. Yes, Jesus was the sinless king, as well as the king messiah of ancient expectation. When Jesus arrived, supernaturally begotten, that's to say, procreated in Mary, Matthew 1.20, Luke 1.35, 1 John 5, verse 18, but not in the King James Version for that verse. His people were so drugged by the religious establishment of the day that they were unable to recognize him. They killed him as a false messiah. They thought he ought to have freed them from Rome and ought to have inaugurated the promised worldwide messianic kingdom there and then. Jesus instructed his inner circle, those who recognized him as indeed the long-promised King Messiah of Israel, that after a period undetermined, left in the councils of God, according to Acts 1, verse 7, he, Jesus, would reappear, this time from heaven to commence his royal rule in Jerusalem and to involve his true followers of all the ages to assist him in managing the world. Matthew nineteen twenty-eight, Revelation 2, verse 26, 3, verse 21, chapter 5, verse 10, on the earth. 1 Corinthians 6, verse 2, Daniel 7, verses 18, 22, and 27. It was not long before even some of his followers, beginning late in the first century, abandoned this hope and substituted a vague promise of heaven for individuals at death. Added to this, they transformed the man Messiah Jesus of Paul's easy creed in 1 Timothy 2 verse 5, which exactly echoes Psalm 110 verse 1, into a second God. Of course, they loudly proclaimed that they believed in one God, but they conveniently left out the New Testament definition of that one God. The New Testament echoing thousands of Old Testament verses, and based on the Unitarian Creed of Moses and Jesus, Deuteronomy 6, verse 4, quoted in Mark twelve twenty nine, this creed was that there is one God, the Father. You will look in vain for any reference to one God, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. That is not the belief of the early Christians. There are 1,300 verses in the New Testament which make the same Unitarian proposition. That is, the word God means the Father 1,300 times. Each of these statements, ranging across the whole New Testament, signals the easy fact that God is one person. Psalm 110, verse 1 with its unique oracle from Yahweh, or Jehovah, penned, as Jesus said, under inspiration and given to David, places a human Messiah, son of God and of David, at my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool. Astonishingly, today, you can walk into the average Christian bookstore, Pick up one of several commentaries on the Psalms and find that the second Lord in Psalm 110.1 is Adonai, the Lord God. How is the protest against this unwarranted piece of misinformation going to begin? It's time for the public to be warned that its traditions are not solidly biblical. A mindless, uncritical approach seems to lull churchgoers into a cheerful acceptance of the status quo. But all is not well when Scripture is being misrepresented at its heart. Psalm 110, verse 1, has yet to have its day. The Lord there gave an utterance to my Lord, and the word is Adonai, Adonai is the standard royal protocol address to the king and other superiors. No one ever calls God Adonai in the Bible. The Lord God is Adonai, and the distinction has been long understood, but not to the Bible-reading public. The 6,828 occurrences of Yahweh, or Jehovah, never appear as Kirios my Lord. In desperation to maintain the notion that God speaks to God, in Psalm 110, verse 1, some have tried to argue that the vowel points in the Hebrew text of today have been corrupted. Happily, the New Testament provides inspired evidence for this very false allegation. Adoni, my lord, with lowercase l, in Hebrew, is properly rendered as Kyriosmu, my lord, in Greek. Scores of verses show the standard contrast between a human leader, Adoni, my lord, and Adonai. Or Yahweh, who is the Lord God. It is a grand fallacy to think that in the time before the vowel points were added to the written text, no one read the text aloud. It was read week by week in the synagogues. And the difference between Yahweh, Lord God, and Adoni, my human Lord, was well understood and it is reflected in the Greek Old Testament Bible, the Septuagint, in B.C. times. The difference is confirmed by the New Testament when it translates Adonai, my Lord, into the Greek words Kyrios Mu. Scores of times this distinction is found in the Septuagint. The Greek Bible quoted often, and thus affirmed as true by the New Testament writers, in complete desperation, some have ventured to challenge the word Adonai, appearing in the standard Hebrew text of Psalm 110, verse one, and faithfully transmitted over the centuries. Some have found three exceptions to the rule that Adonai is Kyrios, the Lord, and not Kyrios Mu my Lord. What they did not notice is that the three exceptions, and exceptions do not make the rule, occur when God, one person, unlike Psalm 110, where God speaks to another, where God is given a double address as Lord and God. In these unusual and totally exceptional cases, the Greek adds a mu mai to Lord to address God. The two main examples are found in Psalm sixteen two and Psalm thirty five verse twenty three. You will see at a glance that neither is in any way parallel to Psalm one hundred and ten verse one and the scores of examples like it. One must not compare apples. With oranges. In the scores of verses in which Kirios, Lord God or Yahweh, is contrasted with a non-deity superior, that non-deity superior is called Adoni or Kirios Mu, my Lord. The system of distinction is secure and obvious. Two exceptions in which God is called my Lord Are readily explicable because of a single addressee. Your Bible is not corrupted in its original Hebrew in Psalm 110, verse 1, except for the translator's false capital on the Second Lord. The Hebrew word is entirely secure. It is Adoni, a word which needs to come out of hiding worldwide and shine as the beacon light defining the human Messiah, Jesus. Paul said it all well in 1 Timothy 2, verse 5. There is one God, obviously the Father here, as in 1,300 other New Testament verses, and one mediator between God and man, the man Messiah, Jesus. God has planned to judge the world by a man whom he is appointed. He raised that man from the dead, and God cannot raise God from death since God cannot die. For all this please read Acts chapter 17 verses 30 and 31.